Amen. Well, welcome again to Sunday night service here at the Moody Church. So glad to have you with us and worshiping alongside us tonight. Well, 2020 has been quite a year already, hasn't it? And we're just in May. If you think about it, earlier we had the wildfires that were in Australia. Um, Obviously, this global pandemic with COVID-19 has really affected probably every single person, at least a large majority of people all over the world. And I don't know if you saw the article this week about this new thing that's coming, the killer hornets. Yes, these bugs that are like two inches long that a sting could severely damage you just when you didn't think it could get any worse. There's killer hornets on the loose that could be coming to the U.S., right? And it's hard to think, man, in the midst of all of these things, it's hard to ignore just how broken the world is. Right. And, and we get the sense, man, not just myself, but everything around like this isn't how our world was supposed to be. And today we're going to look at a passage together in the book of Romans, Romans chapter eight, that helps us not only see how Jesus gives us individually hope, how we can have hope in Jesus, but ultimately how we have hope beyond just ourselves and that the gospel indeed does redeem and change everything. Well, as we talked about a few weeks ago, as we kind of launched into this series on hope, but it's a good reminder for us. When we think of hope, hope is not just wishful thinking. Like, I hope the weather stays nice like this in Chicago for the whole rest of the summer, because, well, that's not going to happen. It's going to be cold again. It's not just this wishful thinking, but biblical hope is confident expectation that God will be faithful to his promises. It's based on who God is and what he said. And it's a confident expectation, not just a wishful thinking that God would do something. And today we're going to be in an amazing passage in the book of Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18, where it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I love that verse. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The first characteristic that we're going to look at tonight in this passage of Christian hope is that our hope is beyond compare. Our hope, what God has in store for you and for me who are followers of Jesus Christ is so great that Paul says, I I don't even, I don't even know how to give you a description of this kind of hope. It is beyond compare, not just to the good things, but notice he says that it makes even the sufferings melt away. Like they don't even matter anymore. It's a reminder to us that suffering is not the final word. Suffering and pain in this earth, in this life that we experience is not the final word. As one commentator reminded me this week, the present and visible world can only be understood in light of the future and the invisible. The present and visible world can only be understood in light of the future and invisible that we have to come. This passage here in Romans chapter 8 it goes along quite closely with another passage that, that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, when he says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
What God has for us is so great that it's beyond what we could ever comprehend. It was written that this glory that God has for us is so weighty, so transcendently wonderful that the glory, that suffering that flies in the air as if it has no weight at all. Suffering exists if it's no weight at all compared to the glory that is to be revealed in front of us. See, it may seem, especially for those of you today who are in the midst of hardship, of difficulty, maybe you're ill, maybe you're living in fear, maybe you've lost your job or your hours have been drastically reduced and you don't know when they will come back. Maybe you've lost someone close or someone close to you is in struggle, in pain, in the hospital. In these times, it might be hard because our minds become so focused and fixed on the now that we forget what Jesus has for those of us who are in the future. What Jesus has for those of us who are his children, what the calling he has for us in the future. And just to get a glimpse of it, he says it's not even worth comparing. You can't compare the suffering here with how great it will be in the future. As I was thinking this week of something that as I look back on it, the suffering just pales away in comparison to what I experienced afterwards. My, my mind was drawn back to, uh, to a time several years ago. Now, if you know me or my wife at all, we love to travel and we also love to get outdoors to the mountains as much as possible. And a few years ago, we were able to take a few week trip out to New Zealand and we spent two weeks on the South Island of New Zealand, the most beautiful place in the world that I have ever been. And near the end of that two weeks, we eventually came to a place called Mount Cook and we went for a hike and the hike stands out because for all intents and purposes, it is probably the hardest hike that we've ever done together. Now I have a picture here of kind of a Google map version of what this hike looks like. So this down here is the parking lot. This down here is actually at the top. It goes up to a hut. And if you can see here, the first half mile and the last half mile, not too bad. Slight incline, not too bad. But the reason this hike is so memorable is from here to here, about a two mile stretch, it goes up and over 3,000 feet in elevation. I believe if my math's correct, that's over a 28% average gradient for two straight miles. The first mile section goes up over 2,000 steps. Now, these are not up to code. These are not the same length. These are some short, some huge steps, which will eventually take you to this view about halfway up. If we go to the next picture, this view, which is just an incredible view. Yes, that is my wife, Kristen, there. This amazing view, Mount Cook, the tallest mountain on the island in the background. But this is only halfway. In the next half, the steps are gone and you're literally just going straight up the side of a mountain. I was recording the, uh, the hike on my watch, which shows your mile per hour average. And at one point it got less than one mile per hour. The pace didn't show up because we were going so slow as you were just trudging right up the side of the mountain. But you can go to the next picture. As we got near to the top, the views just kept getting better and better till we finally got to the hut you go to the next slide, up at the top, probably the most beautiful and scenic place that you could ever spend a night. 
And as we stood there, you can look off to the side and you can look back and see where you came from. I believe that's in the next shot here. So you can stand at the top. There's the parking lot way down there, way down there. But here's the thing. As you stand at the top and you can go to the next picture, as we stood there and took in the beauty again, there's my wife. She makes it in again. As we looked at the beauty that we were surrounded with, as we reflect and we looked back and we thought about it a lot this week as we went back and looked through these old vacation photos, never once do our minds stay just on how difficult this was, that you're going up over 3,000 feet in less than two miles. What comes to our minds? It comes the beauty and the glory and how awesome the view was, what an experience it was to take in a setting like that. See, no one who gets to the top of this climb gets to the top and looks at the mountains and goes, well, that wasn't worth it. Why did I go through all the suffering and pain and hardship? I should have just sat in my car at the bottom. This was a waste of time. But when people get to the top, the pain seems to have gone away because they're overwhelmed by what they see. As we were coming down the mountain that day, people kept asking who were on the way up, is it worth it? How much farther? Should we keep going? To which you obviously just have to say, yes, keep going. It's worth it for the reward that has to come at the top. My friends, sometimes life seems like we're climbing straight up the side of a mountain. And all we can feel is the pain. We don't see the top. We don't know how much longer that we will be climbing, slogging, dragging ourselves up the side of the mountain that is our life. But I just want to remind you for today, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, that whatever is at the top of the mountain, what God has for us, it's worth it. It's worth it in such a way that we will not even remember the suffering. It will pale in comparison to the glory that God has for us. So when you're in the midst of pain and hardship, remember that even though you can't see the top. You can't see where you're going. God does. God is there and what God has in store for us is worth it. Well, the passage continues in Romans chapter eight, and then he goes to verse 19 and it says this, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. That idea of eager longing is someone like craning their neck, trying to look out around the corner, trying to see over the crowd. It's, it's excited. It's looking. And it talks about how this is creation is longing. What what does he mean here by creation? What he's referring to here is everything outside of humanity. All right, so humanity is kind of the unique, special creation of God. But creation is kind of everything that exists, plants, the geography, animals, everything outside of humanity. And he's saying this creation waits with eager longing. Why does it wait with eager longing? Verse 20 says this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
See, the second characteristic of Christian hope that we see here in this passage is that the hope that we have is beyond just ourselves. Our hope goes beyond ourselves to include, as Paul says here, all of creation, the entire world, every created being also is crying out in hope for what is to come. It says here that the creation will be set free because of the one who has subjected it. Who is the person who subjected creation? Well, it's God. God subjected creation as a punishment due to sin entering into the world. This takes place in your Bibles right very early. Genesis 1 and 2, the world is created. It's perfect, exactly how God intended it to be. Chapter 3, we mess it up, right? Humanity comes along, we sin, we make a mistake, and it all goes down because of man's error. And God is the one who subjects creation. It says this in Genesis chapter 3, this is God speaking. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And so creation, the whole planet has been subjected due to the consequences of our sin. But notice it was subjected at the end of verse 20 in hope. And those two words make all the difference in the world. Creation was subjected in hope. There has always been hope. It's always been part of God's plan that this broken world in which we live will be changed, will be saved, will be redeemed. We see this hope for change coming very early on in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, it's in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where God says this. He says, he's speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium. That's Latin for the first gospel. The first picture that even though sin has messed everything up, God is going to take care of it. God will send an offspring of the woman who we know is Jesus to come and to redeem people back to himself. But what Romans 8 reminds us of is God is not just about redeeming people, but God will actually redeem all of creation. It says that creation groans with birth pangs. This groaning is this idea of, of, of there's a great victory and joy to come, but in the moment it is very real and very painful, very hard. Jesus actually used this same illustration of groaning out during birth pangs to the disciples as he was about to go to the cross at the experience that they would have this great pain and sorrow to be overcome with great joy afterwards. It's the same idea for all of creation itself. So yes, get this, all of creation has been subjected, has been messed up, if you were, because of one man's sin. See, sometimes we don't understand just how far-reaching and how devastating the consequences for our sin actually are. Because oftentimes we live so much in this world as such individuals that we think, well, any sin that I have has consequences for me, but it doesn't really impact the people around me. But scripture is clear that sin has far ranging consequences, so much so that because sin entered the world, it affected and has consequences for all of creation. 
As I was thinking this week of consequences of sin, I was reminded back to a story from my own life. And I still remember this. I was in the fourth grade in Mrs. Ayala's class. And believe it or not, I know I'm a pastor now, but believe it or not, I wasn't always the most well-behaved kid when I was in school. And this is not hard for you to believe. I loved to talk during class. I still do love to talk, but now I get paid to do it, right? But back then I loved to talk during class. Now, back then the most severe punishment that our teacher would give us when we talked and interrupted classes, she would take a minute off of the entire class's time that we got to go during recess. So say you had a 15 minute recess. If someone did something that morning, she would put a line on the board. How we only got 14 minutes. Someone else, we only got 13 minutes. Well, after a few of these lines had been drawn, I decided that this was an injustice that I would not stand for. That my time in recess would not be taken away by such a cruel fourth grade teacher such as this. How dare she take away my recess time? And I thought my arguments were persuasive. And so I proceeded to raise my hand and explain to her how it was wrong for her to do this and how the class needed its full recess time. And by the time I was done, we had no recess time that day. The entire class, no recess time. Why? Because I opened my mouth and I tried to do something my way. See, I was the one who initiated the action. I was the one who did it, but the consequences went far beyond just myself. The consequences of sin entering this world through humanity have spread far beyond just ourselves. And this is a reminder. And to me, I think it's a good reminder this week that this world is not what it was meant to be. The world as we experienced it was not how God created it to be. It has been subjected because of sin. And just as we await for ourselves, we're going to look at this in just the next few verses, this great and glorious redemption. We have this great hope. We have that same hope for the world that we live in as well. That creation itself will be redeemed. Get this, as sure as our salvation is in Jesus, we can be assured that Jesus will also transform all of creation. The entire world will be transformed. COVID-19 is a reminder of just how broken the world is, of death, premature death coming all over, global pandemics and disease. It's a reminder that sin has far-ranging consequences. But as Christians, we have hope that God will make right even our world. And we look forward to the days where it talks about the new heavens and the new earth, where we will spend eternity together with God. He is the one who will come and make all things new, including creation. And that is what our hope is in. It's beyond just a hope that we will experience for ourselves. Paul talks about this hope for all of creation. And then he starts to really narrow it down to the hope that you and I have as followers of Jesus. He says this in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That idea there of groaning inwardly isn't like you need to like groan and make actual sounds, but this idea that we, we feel deep down within us that the world isn't right. We feel deep down in us the results of our sin and our brokenness. And, and we know that, that, that this is not all there is, that God has something more and greater and better 
than just what we experience here and now. So we eagerly await for this. Verse 24 says this, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The third characteristic of the kind of hope that Paul calls us to in this passage is a hope that is beyond our experience. A hope that is beyond just what we experience here and now. A hope that goes beyond what we can see and imagine just on this earth. See, he says here that we wait for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now that might be throwing us off a little bit because we would say, well, wait, I thought we already have been adopted into God's family. I thought we already have been redeemed by Jesus. And in many senses, yes, we have. But what Paul is referring to here is the final stage of salvation. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been justified. You've been made clean before God. You've been sanctified. You've been redeemed. But what theologians call this final stage is glorification. When all that you are will be made perfect and right and whole before the presence of God. It says this in 1 John chapter 3, looking forward to that day. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so we await this full experience of salvation that's beyond even what we can experience in the here and now. So what does God call us for until that time? I think there's two kinds of waiting that God calls us to until then. The first is an expectant waiting. He says there in verse 23 that we wait eagerly for our adoptions. It's this idea of expectation whelming up inside of us, not a, well, I hope, a wishful thinking hope, but a confident expectation kind of hope. An expectant hope that knows something will happen and is excited and looking forward to that day when it will come. I was reminded of this kind of expectant waiting in the last week or two. Um, my wife and I are due within the next couple of weeks with our first child and we are excited. But one of the things due to COVID-19 is that whenever the time comes that no other family besides myself will be able to be in the hospital. So I was, uh, we were on a, a group chat a while ago with, with several of our family members um, and they are expectantly awaiting the arrival of this child. And one of them told me, okay, you need to, to let us know as soon as you go in the hospital, what, what's going on. I said, well, I, I'll try. Like, uh, you're not going to be my focus, but I'll try to let you know. And then someone else butted in and said, as soon as the baby's born, you need to text me and tell me. To which I smiled and I said, well, I think I'm going to hold my child first, but then I will soon afterwards tell you and share the good news with you. But I know that they are just so excited. They're filled with expectation of what is to come and they are eagerly awaiting for the day that it will come. That is the kind of expectation that we should have as followers of Jesus Christ. See, too often we're so focused on today, the here, the now. We're so focused on the worries that our families, that our jobs present before us that we've lost sight of what is to come. 
And if someone asks us, what are we looking forward for, for in the future? Our first instinct is we think of, well, career, we think of homes, we think of things on this earth. When in reality, when someone asks us what we're looking forward to, this is what we should be looking forward to. This confident and eager expectation that we will be with God and we will be made whole and complete when we are in his presence. So it's this expectant waiting, but God also calls us to a patient waiting. He says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This reminded me again of 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 16, it says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." He encourages us to look not just to the here and the now, but to get our focus to the future on the things that we can't see, on the spiritual blessings that we will yet to receive in heaven when we go to be there united with Christ. What Paul calls us to is this patient waiting, realizing that it will be worth it. How can you get through this hardship, this pain, the suffering? It's focusing on what is to come and realizing that it will be worth it due to that. I've done many different endurance sports over the years, marathons, bike races, Ironmans. And one of the things that you regularly do, no matter how long or short the race is, is when times get hard in any physical competition, what you want to tell your mind to do, not just to focus on the pain, you want to think of the finish line. Visualize what you have coming in the future. Visualize what it will look like running and crossing that finish line in the competition. And by putting yourself there, it helps you to push through the pain. Friends, the finish line for us as followers of Jesus Christ is being present with our Savior and Lord. And when we experience time of pain and difficulty, we can await through it with patience because our hearts should look to him should be focused on him, this hope yet that we do not see. The pain of this world starts to fade away as we focus on Jesus and what is yet to come. I just want to remind you, especially in this season where so much has been changed, a lot of new things, which often means a lot of uncomfortable experiences for us. Don't let the problems of today distract you from the hope for tomorrow. Don't let the problems, the issues, the worries, the anxieties, the fears of today distract you from the hope that we have in Jesus for the future. See, Romans 8 is a great reminder for us who are followers of Jesus Christ that the best is yet to come. We have experienced a small part of salvation and it is amazing but what we have coming for us in Jesus is beyond comparison. And the suffering that we go through now will be all worth it when we are united and when we see Jesus face to face. In the midst of trouble and difficulty, that is what we are to hold onto. God, we thank you for the hope that we do have in Jesus. 
that the pain that we experience now is not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. God, I pray that we would not be so distracted and overcome by the days and the things in the present, but that we would constantly turn our hearts towards you, towards this future that we have secured in you. God, would you pour out your grace upon our lives? God, sustain us. You know that many are watching tonight who are tired, who are weary, who are feeling broken and downcast. God, may we, in the midst of these overwhelming times, again, put our hope in you, knowing that you will not disappoint. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.